You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because what's old is new again and what's new is terrible. <laughs> my name is Kevin and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, the organic, free-range, non-GMO peanut butter in a world full of skippy. <laughs> Benedict, you're at a fish restaurant. Yep. They have every fish imaginable can be prepared in any way Oof. you request. What are you ordering? Oof. Um, that's a good question. Including, including crustaceans and shellfish. Gotcha. I'd, go, go the full range, whatever you want. I, I'm a big fan of a crab cake. Good, good crab cakes are the jam. I would also maybe go for a paella. Ooh, that would be paella. my idea. You like that saffron on there? You yeah, a little, ass. a little saffron. Yeah, a little saffron. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I got to go with, I think my favorite um, is the chipino. Okay. I don't know if you've ever had it, but it's like a San Francisco staple. It's a seafood stew with lots of tomatoes, mm. uh, crab, some white fish, some, uh, some scallops in there, some clams. Right. Delish. Like a medley. Delish. Like. I'm also a My big fan favorite. of uh, a Peruvian thing called Taku Taku, which is done with like red snapper on like a, a cake Ooh. of peruvian uh like grains it's pretty good is that like grilled is that like a grilled fish yeah it's a grilled fish yeah it's good oh that sounds so i've been dying because you know the whole winter's been going on i've been dying for some grilling because that's i feel like my my male instincts (laughs) whatever a little bit of them are still alive from back when i was a a shitbag uh are coming up and and I got to get to a grill. I just got to get some some char on something, uh, and I can't do that in my apartment. Uh, no. and I'm too lazy to walk no, up to the roof of my that. building when it's cold outside. Yeah, yeah. I'm no. the bougie one. You've got a roof with a grill on it. Like. <laughs> this is true. But anyways, this of course <laughs> is the podcast where we uh, suck out the sludge from the row of porta potties at the finish the metaphor at, I hate at the freedom rally Ew. to find the gleaming and glistening nugget of conservative thought down at the bottom of, <laughs> of the tank i don't like it i don't like it i know you don't <laughs> i refuse but, to laugh it's an enc- only an encouragement yeah 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 i know you don't ever want to encourage me, but Benedict, you start us off this week. What's your hot take? Okay, hot take. I'm sorry, but quarterbacks are not elite athletes. Having You're watched the fine. Super Bowl last night, and everyone's like, is Tom Brady the greatest athlete of all time? No, he's not. He's barely an athlete. He can throw a ball. So can I. I'm sorry. Like, it, sure. <laughs> he's, he's memorized. He's essentially a chess player who can throw the pieces. He's memorized some stuff. <laughs> and like... <laughs> 
he's playing 3D chess, essentially, is all he's doing, with, like, no risk to himself. Look, that's I my have take. no risk to. I don't know what you're talking. I played football my entire life, all the yeah, way through high school. Yeah, not as a quarterback. I have no idea I, what you're talking I, about. No risk to himself. No, no, no. Because when Hold I on. played offensive line, the quarterback was in a lot of risk. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough. And if you got a decent O line, though, like the, quarterbacks you know, can be great athletes. Quarterbacks can be great athletes. They, they can. But, I don't think. But Tom more Brady often is. than not. The better athlete on that team is going to be a running back or a wide receiver Literally or a linebacker. Literally anyone else. I think the kicker might be a better athlete than the quarterback. <laughs> no, no. The kicker's on the sidelines smoking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we do agree. We both agree. We had this discussion before the show, obviously. But we both agree that if you can smoke and drink while doing it, it's not a sport. Yeah, and I think right? quarterbacks could smoke I, while they're doing it. Well, I disagree on that <laughs> on that account, but uh, you know I they have to find so a way. They get so many breaks. They would just have to hold the cigarette in their mouth for like ten seconds while they throw the ball, <laughs> and then you just get you get a forty second break to puff away at your heart's content. You can yeah. absolutely smoke while. Yeah, you got to deal it. with the smoke in your eyes, though. That's yeah, a problem. Well, that's a problem yeah, when you're trying true. to see downfield. You don't want those red eyes. Oh. That's true. What about you? What's your hot take? My hot take this week um, is is similar to yours. Uh, sports don't count this year. <laughs> they didn't count last year, and again, they don't count this year. And it's not it's not entirely because all of my teams have done poorly in the last year since COVID started. Yeah. It's partially that, and it's not entirely because of the collective hatred of Tom Brady that I know all of us had wanting him to lose. Yeah, but I did legitimately, lose. I think there is a legitimate argument that any championship won. Last year and probably this year needs to have an asterisk next to it no. because we're not getting teams at their best and players at their best. It's just it just doesn't count. No. And no, nope. it's great I, for the people who win. It's, it's great for the people who no, win. It's but, wrong. It's wrong yep. because, and I'll tell you why. My team, my soccer team, <laughs> <laughs> won the championship for the first time in thirty years, uh, and so it absolutely counts. But also, we were so far ahead before lo- before lockdown happened in march that nobody uh-huh. could have caught us but okay, then so you're gonna you can claim it on those grounds yeah, you okay. can claim it on those grounds whereas my my cal bears we lost to stanford Ooh, God, it hurts no, me to say that, that my sharks had a bad season vikings had a bad season everyone i like has a bad season this year uh it's just it's just been nonsense and i don't i don't want it to count i'm just gonna say it doesn't count for me that's Listen, it. Do End what you need to do to get through it, Kevin. We yeah, all have it's called a coping mechanism, exactly. Benedict. Exactly. A coping mechanism. Do what you need to do. <laughs> Anyways, who's bees? What's on your bookshelf this week? What should they read this instead week, of the nonsense we do? Some Kurt Vonnegut, I think. Some Cat's Cradle. Also, really any mm. any Kurt Vonnegut. If you if you're a, a Vonnegut novice, maybe to start with uh, start with Slaughterhouse Five. But yep. Vonnegut's always if great you're fun. in sixth grade. Yeah. <laughs> if you're in sixth grade you shouldn't be listening to this show let's no, just well, say that up front you should, we should maybe put qualifiers on it um vonnegut's great he's also got some some fun lectures on youtube of like him teaching the structure of writing and like all the stories that have ever existed they similar to the um the hero with a thousand faces which is one of the foundational texts for story arc writing i think the guy turned out to be a little fashy in the end but um that's that's what that the same to. guy is that the same guy who wrote the hero's journey yeah thing? yeah it's the same thing yeah, yeah. The, the, the hero with the thousand i think it's called uh 
I forget. I think it might called. be a subtitle of it. I don't remember yeah, off the top of like my head. That. I just it, know I read some excerpts and went for him at once for a class. Yeah, that's it's the same guy. Anyway, that's worth a read too because it's basically what all Disney movies are based on. Like, <laughs> no, seriously, there was a memo. He, sent he would argue 90s. it's what all stories are based that's on. That's true. I mean, all all foundational myths are based on. But but Disney sent a memo in the '90s, being like, "Hey, every story has to have this structure <laughs> where someone's taken out of their uh, like." comfort zone meets someone supernatural or supernatural seeming that guides them through and back towards the great reappearance in their in their comfort zone having learned a bunch and if you think about every disney movie that is the story of every disney movie somehow i'll make a man out of you mulan was always my favorite it's my good. favorite it's a too. good movie oh uh, yeah it, movie. also because it really pissed off mike pence to the point that he had to <laughs> blog about it which is the funniest <laughs> thing um but yeah go read some vonnegut vonnegut's fun check it out what about you what you got uh, this week, so right, we're starting the Glenn Beck book this week, and uh, I did a you know I did a pretty deep dive for the intro episode two weeks. Kevin ago Kevin texted me Beck. and was like, "I was so proud of that episode I put." Together. I was so because I did I did a good deep dive on that, uh, pulling those clips up and everything. Spent hours putting that together, uh, but I decided I wanted to learn more about Glenn Beck because there's there's more to this guy. There's a lot of questions I had that were unanswered, so I found a book about Glenn Beck called Common Nonsense by a guy named Alexander Zaychik, uh, who's a journalist who writes for Alternet and a bunch of other stuff. He's an independent journalist, so he's written all over the place. Don't um, love Alternet, personally, but that's fine. Carry on. No, no, but he's written all over the place. That's just one of the places. That's When I look at the back of the book jacket, that's what it mm. mentioned from okay. his book that was published in, I think, 2011, 2012 is when this book came out, sometime around then. Okay. Um, so it's a much deeper dive into Glenn Beck than I had time to go into in the hour of our show that we did. And it is, I got to tell you, the more I learn about Glenn Beck, the more I am scared of him. Uh, okay. Because this man comes across as such, I don't know if it's sociopath or psychopath, I forget which one is which. The only thing Glenn Beck cares about is himself. Mm. And it's so easy to catch him in a lie. And I, I'm so happy that I found this book. It's been my nightly reading for the past uh, week or two now. And I am excited because as we go through this book, I'm hoping I'm going to be able to pull tidbits I know about Glenn Beck out now and use them as we go through his book. It's good. I mean, I'm looking forward to hearing them. Awesome. So on to housekeeping. First off, uh, rate and review us on iTunes or Spotify. I don't know if you can rate on Spotify. I don't use it. So. Uh, wherever you can rate, rate and review us there. It helps uh, other people find the show. Remember to follow us on all of the socials at NYGBCPod on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, and I should mention, right, we, we're behind on our patron-only bonus episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was supposed to be an extra one uh, for, for the month of January, which we are behind on, but... We gave you a two and a half hour movie review show. So. Yeah, it was a long one. <laughs> Me convincing Benedict to do another patron only this month is going to be difficult. So if <laughs> any of our patrons have a problem with it, we'll record you a special you only. Yeah, I'm sorry. Patron, patron I'll, send, I'll send you a personal apology. We'll, we'll give you our uh, uh, cameo. Yeah. Uh, or whatever you want, uh, but uh, we're really we we've been so because of the movie and everything uh, we've been we've been time crunched. Yeah, I had to watch uh, so that movie just, three times. So yeah, we're not that's... we're not going to have time to do the uh, the extra patron only, but we will of course be doing one this month for February and this month. I promise you, this is the month we get it done on time. This is the month you get your patron only before the end of February. Yeah, that sounds right. 
Not in the first week of the next month. Mm. So I promise that's going to happen this time. But with all of that out of the way, Benedict, we return to our book review of Arguing with Socialists by Returns? Glenn Beck. I mean, we're starting. Well, we really. begin. We begin our review of Arguing with Socialists by Glenn Beck, the personification of white rage. Mm. And Benedict, what do we read this week? This week, where else would we begin? We read chapter one in which Glenn tells us just how reasonable and every man he is. He does. He does. Okay, I got to say about that. He spends basically the first page, maybe two pages, being the reasonable everyman. Oh yeah, he's like, hey, and I'm then, a reasonable guy. I I don't believe fascists exist. And then exist. immediately reverts. Uh, <laughs> and then just reverts into being who he truly is. Yep. Uh, and that's a pattern. That's a pattern I picked up through again more of my research and uh, that that fantastic book I've been reading, Common Nonsense, uh, where he has throughout his career. Because he plays this bullshit libertarian card, which the more I think about it and the more I look into it, I don't think he's a real libertarian because of a lot of the things he believes. We'll go into <laughs> it in the future, but I, I really don't think he is. He's more of a – there's a, a famous article in political science called The Paranoid Style in uh, American Politics. It's one of those foundational texts you read when you're studying political science. Mm -hmm. And it really talks about this paranoid conservatism. Uh, that was coming up around the time of the McCarthy hearings when that article was written. Mm -hmm. um, and that's more what I envision Glenn Beck of being. It's a reactionary conservatism, not really grounded in any philosophy or real understanding of <laughs> what conservatism or libertarianism okay. or anything is about. <clears throat> um, that's that's where I see Glenn Beck as being in reality. All right. That's interesting. But, you're, you're coming at this with all this extra context, and I'm just reading the words off the page. I know. I know. But yes, we will begin this chapter. And better, before we get to the words cartoon. of the chapter. I, I will not let cartoon. you skip past the cartoon. <laughs> yeah, this is full, full panel cartoon. And, and this is the closest I will ever get in my life to hosting a comic book podcast. <laughs> <laughs> because we have yeah a one-page comic of... You guys can I don't hear even the know how to describe this. So I will try. I will just do my best at describing this this comic page that we have here. Uh, in our first panel up top, we have a guy with a beard and a water one of those hot water bottles on his head, uh, with uh, him saying, "I have a splitting headache." Mm -hmm. And below that, Bernie Sanders cutting in with. It's not just about a single headache. We need to solve headaches for all. I do a terrible Bernie. Don't I blame did. me. That's a bad Bernie. <laughs> Next to that, we have AOC saying, Headaches are caused by pollution. My Green New Deal will eradicate the problem. And the final panel, we have Glenn Beck, the only one who is drawn looking good, of course, uh -huh, uh, yeah, saying, <laughs> How about just giving the guy some aspirin? Okay, several so problems, this several, several problems that <laughs> yeah. I have with this. First of all, yes. this guy, I don't know why he has this ice pack on his head and his beard is as big as his face, but I mean, yes. maybe, maybe that's wearing him down and causing him I the I think headache. Glenn's order when he put in for the comic was draw him like a Muslim. I think <laughs> that's what he told whatever right-wing yeah, illustrator they I, got. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. And then Bernie has like only bottom teeth, I think. Certainly yep, the, yep. certainly the, it's not as caricature as it could have been. Uh, for Bernie, mm -hmm. that's which is good, I guess. Um, oh, it's one hundred percent the guy in Central Park who does the big head character. Oh, probably, that's what yeah. these drawings all are. Probably. So, I mean, they are recognizable, but it's like they're definitely yes. not good drawings. Um, the the thing is, though, like again, this is painted to be like, oh, Bernie and AOC being ridiculous, but like 
what if we did give everyone aspirin for free and like what if environmental <laughs> stuff is causing people to have mass headaches like isn't that something we should solve like right because but and that's what i picked up from it was glenn beck's his answer here to this entire little scene he's setting up is let's just deal with the symptoms of the problem. Yeah, or even let's not let, find let's out if there is an this, actual this one guy's problem. Right. So, but like, Ignore, who's yeah. who's going to pay for the aspirin? Like, what if this guy can't afford aspirin? Are you going to charge him for aspirin? If not, then why would you charge someone else for aspirin when you're giving this guy aspirin for free? What's the plan, Glenn? Which is like libertarianism is in a nutshell, right? Is like yes. g- good for me, not for thee. Like whatever you know. I'll solve individual problems when they arise, but do nothing about the systemic systemic situation that causes them. Absolutely. That's why I wanted to highlight. And we get to the first page of the actual chapter where my first complaint is that these are glossy fucking pages. Yeah, it's also they're really it's really hard to take notes on the first two pages. So I don't have much to say on them. Yeah. (laughs) Which my complaint is I use highlighter when I go through these books. I highlight passages that I'm gonna read on the air and I write in the margins to put in all my notes and things. And because they're glossy pages, I now have smudges oh. of highlighter. So and whoever ink gets your book, <laughs> all sorry, over everywhere. So I'm really annoyed with that for one thing. But we got to talk about the layout first. Yeah, so it's there's so board. much to talk about with this book. But we have to talk about just the layout of the fucking book. Yep. yep. So. It is uh, uh, the motif of the book, if you will. I don't know if that's the right word. Is that everything is uh, taped or stapled or pinned onto a corkboard. So the entire outside margin of every page looks like a corkboard background. Yeah. And then they have pages that are, you know, a little bit ripped and torn here and there. And they're all taped up or whatever the case might be. They're put onto that. And all over, all these pages are, there are fake, you know, little fake sticky notes and all these little uh, extra pieces taped on, like if there's a uh, a box with something extra, which he does a lot for mm. like different information or things, it'll be taped on. It'll look like it was something extra that was added. It is um, interesting to say the least. This is definitely I, I have to say, I have to give a little bit of credit that this is the best looking children's picture book I've ever bought. <laughs> it, the best formatted to yeah. say the least. Yeah. Although yeah. Uh, Velveteen Rabbit will give it a run for its money. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I mean, and in terms of the text, this this opening two pages, I guess, is him being like, hey, sometimes politicians are right on all sides of the aisle and every election is not the most important election of our lifetime, even though we say it is. And like, that's not wrong. Like, I'll give Glenn some credit here. Like some of the things he says in this first two pages, and I'm going to be very stingy with the credit that I give Glenn, but some of the <laughs> things he says in this first two pages is is definitely for people to go, huh, that's not wrong. Like, I'll give right. this book a chance. And and the title of the chapter, which you said earlier, is Setting the Stage, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you actually said it. I don't think I did, and no. We did. I just realized we didn't give alternate chapter oh, titles, okay. uh, but uh, we'll, we'll remember to do that next week. But so it's setting the stage. And the, I, the way I view that is this is perfect Glenn Beck form where he starts off the book pretending he's nonpartisan. Yeah, it's pretending like I'm, I'm about to say something very reasonable and that may surprise you. Like, OK, right. Because he starts off, he says, when Donald Trump says X, he's right. When Bernie says X, he's also right. When Ted Cruz says X, he's right. And Elizabeth Warren. And the only one that actually isn't correct there is the one that Donald Trump says. 
Uh, where he says that whole communities have been plunged into a Depression-era uh, level unemployment, which is, is just wrong. There's nowhere in our country that's seeing Depression-era level of unemployment when this book was published. Yeah. Uh, that's just utter nonsense. But so, yes, this is the play-acting at nonpartisanship that Glenn Beck has made a feature of his career, of pretending to be nonpartisan while being the most partisan individual in mainstream politics on any of the news channels or radio or anything like that. Mm -hmm. There is no doubt, uh, count out people like Alex Jones, right? But for the mainstreamers, he is absolutely the best at pretending to be nonpartisan while being absolutely partisan. So he starts off on the next page. I hate after it. Those I hate this paragraph. Can I read it? Yes, you can. Okay, so he says, uh, basically he ends the previous page being like, political parties are equal opportunity, like, offenders when it comes to fucking things up, basically. And he says, this isn't because the challenges we're facing are insurmountable. I don't wake up each morning in despair. Technically, I wake up every morning in a Spongebob onesie, a lengthy discussion <laughs> of which was cut by the publisher. I, like, I hate that. And there's a funny way to do that, and that's like putting an Ed note in, being like, Glenn, I don't think this is really necessary. And then leaving that in, that's fine. Like, either mention it or don't. But don't be like, well, you know, I had some back and forth with the publisher and they agreed that this joke wasn't funny, but I'm going to reference it anyway. Like, fuck off. I hate it. I hate it so right, much. And this is, this is perfectly, again, going back to his history as a shock jock radio guy, never allowing a serious moment. Yeah. Every it, serious yeah. moment has to be tinged with comedy to lighten it. He can't be fully serious yeah. until it's time to slow the tempo and talk quieter. Talk seriously. Yes, that's when it's time now, to be serious. I, I'm, I, you, know, you know that I mean what I'm about to say because I don't Absolutely. talk like this normally. And that and is when you know, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> that he's being serious. And you can't do that as well in book form, obviously. No, exactly. But yeah, this whole book, especially you know, this chapter, is just riddled with these... end of the, It's scattered all throughout. I shouldn't say it's just the end of paragraphs, but it's all throughout him sprinkling what he thinks are jokes into this entire chapter to begin with. Uh, and, and this is one of the things that's going to come up throughout this book because there are a ton of these. He also has fake tweets. Printed it's very into the book. weird, <laughs> it, but they're all from this one person. Can we try and unpack who we think this is? No, no, it's on? not just this one person. Oh, there, really? are, there are many different people. The only one we're getting in this chapter is this one person. Uh, and so the name of this is Neil DiCaprio Cortez. <laughs> Uh, and the Who do you think the, the um, Neil is from? I don't know. Neil deGrasse Tyson? Maybe. Yeah. I don't I know. Uh, that's the only one I can think of. I have no idea. But the uh, the Twitter handle he gives this guy is Green New Neil, which I did think was slightly but, funny. Fine. I, I really fine. did think Green New Neil. That, that's okay. That That's a decent joke. I'll give him that one. But he has to invent someone to agree with him, which is fucking hilarious. Right. And, and he's going to play act throughout this book as though he's having a conversation with these non-existent Twitter handles, which are actually him writing them, <laughs> which I find hilarious for other reasons. But so the lead into this fake tweet is, quote, Washington elites want you to believe their alleged brilliance is the only reason America has been as successful as it has and that they can save you if only you were willing to give them more power over your life. But that's just not true. Our nation thrives not because of its politicians, but in spite of them. And then the tweet is supposed to be a response to that. And the tweet reads, quote, At Glenn Beck, I can't believe I'm saying this, but you're right. 
Politicians won't fix these problems by maintaining the status quo. We need to completely change our entire system. That's why millions of people like me are calling for socialism. And then, of course, he has the fake lawyer's note that the Twitter handles uh, used in the book are coincidental and unintentionally related to, you know, to any real person, yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, 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 which is just stupid nonsense. It is stupid nonsense. So, but he, re- he has his rejoinder to that fake tweet that he wrote, right, writing the own conversation for yourself is, is pretty astounding to me. And attempting to pre- present it as an honest colloquy between yeah. two individuals. Yes, yeah. it's, it's dumb. It's pretty amazing, right? It's literally him getting to straw man his opponent. Yeah, it's, side he's the created a straw book. man, Green New Neil, and then he's like, "Well, if Green New Neil agrees with me, then I must be saying something reasonable." Also, yes. like the DiCaprio thing is funny. Like it's because I guess it's because it rhymes with Acasio, but like, ah, yes, progressive hero Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> well, Glenn Beck, remember, is still stuck in 2010. Hmm. He never made it out of 2010. So in his world, Leonardo DiCaprio is still a major I mean, major leader in he's an environmentalist, like climate change. I guess, yeah. But like, yeah. No, really, I, I mean it seriously. He's basically stuck in 2010. Yeah. Because that was his heyday, and he's never gotten any better than that. Okay. He's never had it any better yeah. than that. And, and then so then so, we, we get this description of the far left and the far right, which I think is very telling. Because he's like, mm-hmm. oh, everyone thinks that the far right are Nazis. But if you ask conservatives, it's just like people like Ayn Rand. Like, okay, well, that's <laughs> a huge fucking blind spot. Also, not necessarily wrong. But, like, that that it's is a, a big it's old It's funny blind to spot. me. Whenever so-called libertarians try to pretend that they've read a lot of books, yeah. they always reveal that they have read so few yeah. books. Hey, you heard about like Ayn Rand? Through... Like, yes. You're like straight to Ayn Rand, I know. I have it's talked great. to seven libertarians in my life, and they only <laughs> talk to me about Ayn Rand. So. But also, like, that is a huge... Like, if you don't think that there are Nazis that make up the far right, then I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Also, my favorite bit of any of these books is when they go, the Nazis are a real problem anyway about those communists like (laughs) right exactly so the reason for that little you know this people talk past each other talking about the far left or the far right or whatever is because he's setting up now right in response to the fake tweet that again he wrote uh that uh, to open up this conversation we have to define our terms because that's the only way we can really have a meaningful conversation and thankfully Glenn is here to define our terms for us, starting off with socialism, which he provides. Quickly, just say that as someone who reads the International Phonetic Alphabet pretty okay, Uh it is extremely funny that he tries to do it for socialism and does like the upside down E and stuff. And like, (laughs) that's how you pronounce this. And then he gets to democratic socialism, which he like the pronunciation he defines as predatory socialism, which is like, okay, whatever. But then it like completely gives up and just does pred, uh, tor, E. Like doesn't even try (laughs) to do the international phonetic alphabet. And then goes back to Swedish socialism, which he does again with the international phonetic alphabet. I think it's because when Uh you Google them, some of them come up with it automatically in like the dictionary of Google. Google, and some of them don't and the ones that he's done it for come up with the google panel showing it and the ones that he hasn't that don't and then communism doesn't even <laughs> get close k-o-m-y-u-h-n-i-z-u-h-m 
but then again like when he does capitalism <laughs> capitalism on the next page like the same ism sound he spells differently in international <laughs> phonetic alphabet it's bizarre he doesn't do it the same like two times in a row i here's my honest thought on that if you asked me does glenn beck understand the internet which i don't understand i have no idea i know the thing you're talking about right it's the little thing where they show you how to pronounce the word yeah the, i know e- that there are each, multiple each ways character, of doing that. well so each character has basically a unique sound so like yes. that although we have five vowel letters in english we have like a dozen vowel sounds and each of those is like so like a e i o u r a e o like that there are like a dozen or a, a couple yes of, yes uh, so each of those in the international phonetic alphabet has like a dis like distinct character so that you can see like how to actually pronounce it because english is a fucked up language for pronunciation and none of it makes sense so they had to be like <laughs> we should invent an alphabet that shows people how to do this actually because some languages are, are automatically phonetic like spanish like spanish letters always sound the same they're never they never vary but they always like are spelt how they sound whereas english is just crazy so yeah it like so nobody if, if no, you were to ask no me use. it's of no does... use to anyone except ling- <laughs> like like linguist linguistic studiers but it's ridiculous yeah if you were to ask me does glenn beck understand that system and the no. variations it takes or did he have an intern who got lazy and started just doing it sarcastically <laughs> as he went on with this book the second answer a thousand times That's i, absolutely I what am it is. a huge fan also of like real world so when he does real world communism in a minute, <laughs> yes. he, he spells real wrong in the definition <laughs> underneath of it and then does the phonetic phonetic pronunciation of real. Like what? <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I, I am so confused to what the atten- intention was here. It's like, this was my main focus in the chapter, honestly. I spent a lot of time. I honestly, I think it was, they were, they were thinking of it as, you know, how they say own dud lips. That's how they got into, that was the rhythm they were working on. But why would you? Uh, and that's like, how they ended up going with it. It's real and you wrote it wrong. Like, I just, I don't understand. Anyway. Wait, we're spending so much time on this and not how his definitions are wrong. Well, yeah. Which I find funny too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, so I, start- I expected that, but I just like if you're going to include pronunciation, a make it consistent, b just do it right. <laughs> it's not that difficult. Most dictionaries have the IPA listed next to the word. Yeah. So he starts off with socialism, right? Noun socialism. Quote. Any of various economic and political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods. End of definition. And of course, that is that is wrong. I looked up the definition of socialism in like six different places trying mm. to find one that said it that way. But all of them include, right, a theory that involves government regulation of industry and yeah. uh, safety nets and all this sort because of stuff. that is like, what socialism is. Literally, this is just what he came up with to tell all of his readers yeah. this means communistic state ownership of all industry and all means of production all property. which of course is different all pro so he says in a socialist economy the society as a whole collectively owns and manages property which like he dropped a my there what he meant was collectively owns and manages <laughs> my property yeah which is what he's really scared of to be yeah. honest right yeah, yeah, yeah. is him losing his his stuff he wants to keep all of his stuff um and so 
the analogy he draws, it's not really an analogy, but he says, quote, This goes over very well with humans. Just try taking toys away from one child and sharing them with others in the same room. Kevin, Let me know how that works Kevin, out. Kevin, Kevin, Is that not what we teach children? <laughs> Don't hold your not toys. Not Glenn Beck. Share That's not what he teaches friends. his kids. But yes, apparently in Glenn Beck's mind, the best we can aspire to as rational human beings is children mad that you're taking to away be, our toys. Is to be selfish children and be mad when we have to share. Literally Absolutely. something we teach children is a bad thing when they're like four years old. Well, you know, the term taking a, a lot candy from a baby was originally about uh, Stalin finding a, a child outside of... Uh, <laughs> The Kremlin and taking their candy away. That's where the, the term comes from. Did I don't you know, know if you know like, about it's this. actually it's actually I, I know you're joking, but it's actually about the top level tax rate being over fifty percent. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? In Glenn Beck's mind, yeah, yeah, it probably fucking is. Because Glenn Beck views that it's astonishing to me because right we're going to be talking about this social it's going to take us a while to get through these couple (laughs) definitions he put that he puts down here but glenn beck has a history of complaining about the most mundane efforts by the government to rein in right the outrageous wealth of the top classes and you know (laughs) provide social safety nets any slight move in that direction he starts screaming communism (laughs) and and I, i have no doubt he actually would describe the top tax rates as taking candy from baby. Oh, I really do because I know sure. some of the other things he just he's described similarly. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely and he does say that that socialism in Marx is the pit stop on the way to communism, which is kind of true. Sure. Yeah, I, to I Marx. Yeah, to Marx. To, Mar- to Marx it was. Yeah. That doesn't mean that's what socialism is. No, exactly. It doesn't mean Marx was right. No. Right? And that's plenty. I know I know a few Marxists. I know a few actual Marxists. I went to UC Berkeley. Uh, but uh, I don't think outside of them, I know anybody who really thinks socialism is the way to communism and is pursuing those ends. Depend- I mean, it, it does it, it does depend. I, it, do- it, does, it does depend. But... I mean, and and Marx was right about a lot of stuff in the 1860s, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he was right about how capitalism worked in the 1860s. He was wrong about where it led, but that doesn't mean he didn't have some ideas that still bear out, like... Right, and in the 1960s, it was Bob Dylan who was right about everything. (laughs) So the next definition we get is democratic (laughs) socialism. Predatory socialism, you mean. And I know I I spent a lot of time on the pronunciation already, but I just want to point out again that he he breaks up the words by syllable, but like for socialism, it just seems like he gets bored and he goes, so shall ism. Like he doesn't doesn't break up ism. He just just like social ism. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> doesn't just doesn't do it right it's so weird no no but the definition he gives us for that is quote features the same system of collective ownership and management of property inherent in every other socialist system wrong because they all have variations and they're all different along with all of its problems the only difference is its adherents also pinky swear that they'll never support any form of government other than the one in which elections are democratically held as if democracy magically guarantees there won't be tyranny great stuff so <laughs> That's that's his idea of democratic socialism. Would you but would you like that, to read the the yellow post-it note underneath this? Yes, I would. Yes, I would, Benedict. 
So below that definition on this page, he has two uh, fake post-it note looking things which have uh, additional information, if you will. One of them, the yellow one on the left, says, quote, Ask African-Americans who lived in the Jim Crow South or Japanese-Americans who were forced to live in government-run internment camps during World War II how well democracy without protections for individual rights works out. I'm sorry, what? A, A, both things that happened under capitalism. Yes. Also, not wrong. <laughs> to be fair. To be fair, not wrong. B, uh, his side is the one that wants to take away individual rights. <laughs> Protected I mean, rights. You gotta be fucking joking me. It's libertarians who literally don't believe in civil rights protections. Mm -hmm. Which is what part of the reason, there's much more to it than that, that I don't think Glenn Beck is a real libertarian. I don't think he knows or understands almost anything about libertarianism other than I don't like government or taxes. That's right. I think that's as far as he gets into <laughs> libertarianism. So do, do you mind if I read the socialist cheat sheet? Because this is Oh, go right ahead. Okay, go right so, ahead. Number one, if it's unpopular to say you're a communist, say you're a socialist. That's sneaky. I, I have to admit that's mm -hmm. sneaky. People shouldn't do that. If it's unpopular to say you're a socialist, then say you're a democratic socialist. Okay. Yes, okay. Good that's good advice. Good if it's unpopular to say you're a democratic socialist, say you're a Democrat. Ooh, sneaky. Wow. Sneaky. Never would have thought I, of that. If it's unpopular <laughs> after, to say after you're four a four pages ago. After four pages ago when he pretended to be nonpartisan. Yeah. You wouldn't have expected that. If it's unpopular to say you're a back. fascist, say you're a libertarian. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't have to pretend I'm not a partisan. I am a partisan. <laughs> I despise Glenn Beck and his entire group of no nothing. Entire shtick. Uh, but not because they're not because they're evil, because they're wrong. Uh, I mean, there's so he gives us a little snippet in between that last definition and uh, the the next group of definitions we're going to get. And he says, quote, although many of America's most prominent democratic socialists, in scare quotes, of course, mm. say their system is entirely different from the socialist horror stories we've seen in numerous countries over the past century. The truth is, democratic socialism is nothing more than socialism with a better PR department. Kevin, who's the one democratic socialist president that America has ever had? Uh, if, if, if we're... If we're going to say we had one, FDR probably. FDR described himself as a democratic socialist. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, sure. people tend to agree that apart from the internment camps and such, but economically, <laughs> economically, it went pretty well under FDR. And I know there was World War II, which wasn't great. And that does stimulate the economy, but the economy was thoroughly stimulated before that also. Also, I, I, because internment camps came up, because Glenn Beck brought them up, I would like to point out, it wasn't just the left who was supporting internment camps. No. The entire fucking country supported internment camps. And that was wrong. That was absolutely yeah, wrong. And also, but I mean, when the, they the, try the and pretend... Order, the order itself was taken hugely out of context by a general that was like, yeah, we're going to put all the Japanese people in internment camps, um, yeah. which was not good. <laughs> When Republicans try and pretend, oh, FDR is the one who did internment camps, remind them, you guys were behind that too. If you were there back then, if you were alive, you would have been behind it. Don't try and fucking pretend you're not. Yeah. Especially you, Glenn Beck, Guantanamo Bay supporter. Yeah. Okay, so let's do, let's set do of Swedish style socialism, shall we? Yes, we get Swedish style socialism. Which he thinks which, doesn't again, exist. Despite then defining it on the next page just under a different name. 
Yes, he says, quote, is a mythical creation invented by socialists desperately looking for proof that socialism works. When they examined history and couldn't find any examples of socialism working, not a single one, they fabricated the Scandinavian socialist myth. So yes, of course, the Scandinavian socialist myth, we got that in the documentary we did uh, last week with Morgan, of course, and we heard it. I think we've probably heard people saying the Scandinavian socialism thing is a myth in a handful of books that we've done so far. I think yeah. it, it comes up from time to well, time. They always try and... They tend to mention it and then be like, but look at Venezuela. That's not the same. And then that's <laughs> right? it. Really. Which is what Dinesh did. Yeah. Dinesh said, look, Scandinavian-style socialism, they control distribution, but not capital creation. <laughs> but look at Venezuela! <laughs> that's exactly what Dinesh did. Yep. And that's... Uh, Glenn, Glenn's going to be a little more overt with it. But the next definition we get is communism, mm. which is, quote, a system in which goods are owned in common and are available to all as needed. In the Marxist sense, communism is the most extreme form of socialism. No, it is the path. Yeah. Socialism is, is the path. It's, it's to literally on the opposite page. Yeah. Yes. In a communist utopia, all property, including many kinds of personal property, is collectively owned and managed. According to actual communists, this has never been achieved. In its most idealistic form, communism does not include an all-powerful centralized government, but rather people sharing, working, and living for the common good. Yeah. Yeah. Anarcho-communism. That's... <laughs> sure. I, I, and I think it, it probably has... I, I, I do think it's true that it has never been achieved because I don't believe it's possible on a national... A national? National level. National. I, I, I think it... Yeah, do, it's, it, it it's, just only, be... it's only possible in small areas uh, about uh, a half mile wide where people grow their own food and don't shave their... Uh, <laughs> don't shave at all, really. Yeah. That's the only place where anarcho-communism is actually possible. Yeah. And, uh, in but, the Pacific Northwest, I should say. Well, yeah, and also, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's very strange. But, like, yeah, I just, I, I mean, it becomes impossible at scale, right? Like, it just... Yeah, absolutely. Because, but, yeah, whatever. Whatever. Because, because anarchism isn't a, a way of organizing people and just doesn't work. Well, an um, anarcho-communism isn't exactly the same, but, yeah. That's the what he's trying to yes, imply there. You're right, you're right. You're right. So the last definition he gives us uh, on this page is real world communism, mm -hmm. which yes is where he just does the weird uh, pronunciation directions that you were talking about, where it's real R E E L, uh, and then just <laughs> I don't know what he's doing with communism there. That's strange. <laughs> where the definition is quote. Like many forms of socialism results in misery, death, despair, and authoritarianism. Everything communists say they oppose while fomenting revolution, but can't seem to avoid when they come into power. Yeah, I mean, sure. Sure, sure. I don't, I've just, I, it's, it's so dumb, man, because the rest of the book is going to be pretending that everyone who calls themselves a democratic socialist is a communist. Yeah. Which is absolutely not true. We're going to get into it plenty. But remember, this is all straw. This is all setting up his long-running yeah. straw man that's going to go throughout this whole book. Also, and, I uh, mean, you, you do have to remember that every communist or radically socialist country that has basically existed ever has been mass invaded by the other capitalist countries, which tends <laughs> to, like, put a bit of a dampener on, like, how well the revolution goes. It just doesn't, sure. it doesn't tend to work out, like... And then finally, we get the definition of capitalism. Oh, I wonder if he's going to besmirch capitalism's good name or put like a real world capitalism. People die of hunger in the streets in the richest country in the world. Well, he's a nonpartisan, remember? Uh -huh. So let's find out. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. says, quote, 
is an economic system characterized by private or corporate ownership of capital goods by investments that are determined by private decision and by prices, production, and the distribution of goods that are determined mainly by competition in a free market. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Doesn't yeah. that sound great? If you didn't know he was strawmanning everything, wouldn't you think that was the best one here? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would. Actually, the one he does in a minute is going to sound even better with the free market capitalism with oh, the safety net. Yeah. That sounds great. The one that he sounds despises. That like Swedish-style <laughs> socialism to me. Yes, yes. And it, in fact, is the one that he is most against, uh, which is the one that's uh, really what we're trying to achieve here in the United States, if you think about it. Mm. Uh, so he says, free market capitalism with a safety net. That is the next step. And I, I actually, I don't want to pass over. Uh, he does say that free market capitalism is very different from the corrupt crony brand of capitalism commonly found today. So he's doing exactly what he says the communists do. Yeah. Saying it's, well, you know, it's never really been uh, achieved successfully because we have this crony capitalism mm. that goes on in the real world. And we, that's why we don't have this perfect system of capitalism but, that but I think it, would, isn't, would solve isn't all that problems. an inevitable consequence of the capitalist system, Glenn? No? Okay, cool. Sure. So free market capitalism with a safety net is the last, thankfully, definition he's going to give us. And it is, quote, a market-based capitalistic economy that includes publicly funded social safety nets for those who are unable to support themselves. This is a system utilized by countries such as Sweden, which has a largely free market, few regulations, false, making it easy to start a business, a tax-friendly atmosphere, and laws that protect honest businesses and their What owners. do you think he means by a tax-friendly atmosphere? I think he just means low taxes. It's not low taxes. It has huge what, taxes. When they say friendly taxes, all they mean is low taxes. Yeah. Because that's their only answer is low taxes and but, no inheritance tax. But that's Sweden, what they mean. Sweden has massive taxes, especially like... I took a look. I did take a look into Sweden in particular because that's the example he's going to use because the other ones like the Netherlands or uh, Finland or those are, are worse for him uh, from... A, <laughs> Yeah. Any perspective he's trying to look at it from. In Sweden, the top tax rate, I was, and it's a bit confusing because it's, there's a different system they use, right? They have this tax wedge thing, mm -hmm. which is difficult to understand. But basically, the top marginal tax rate is higher than we have in the United States. So by Glenn Beck's definition, just because the top tax rate is higher than the United States should be a socialist hellhole. Should absolutely be a socialist hellhole to him. Yeah, but it makes uh, no sense. They they, they also addition, sorry they they also do have a high um, a high value added tax, so like a high sales tax as well, which you right. know, is not great for consumption and poor. Well, it, you but know, it, 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 it works a, there a, because a, they have a massive social safety net. Yeah, but right? it's, so it, they have, it is they have a regressive great government tax, programs. Yeah. It is right. generally. It's but tax. in addition, some other fun facts I found about Sweden. In Sweden, about one third of the nation's workforce is employed by the state or municipal oh. governments. Compare that to about 6% in the United States. Again, that is big government, Glenn, mm. my friend. That is socialism in action under your definitions. Mm -hmm. In addition, about... Uh, si I can't read my own scribbling because of the glossy pages smudging my ink. Uh, but is either... <laughs> Based on my recollection, 64% okay. or 69% nice. of the population uh, are members of unions oh, in cool. Sweden. Cool, 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 cool. So massive union membership. Socialism! Mm, Socialism, I mean, Glenn! That is kind of what that is, but that's fine. Um, my favorite right. bit of this is where he says in the next paragraph where he's like, free market capitalism with a safety net is not a socialist system. Which like, okay, tell that to any GOP consultant. Like, right. <laughs> and like I, I agree with him, in as much as it's not, it's not really socialism. 
Yeah, uh, when but you look then like that's sweet. all and, the democratic socialists want, really. Like, right, most, and like, that's where I get into arguments with people who call themselves democratic socialists, where it's like, well, you really just want like free market, but we want more regulations, bigger safety nets. We want to make sure we have living wages for people. Like, we don't want to do away with like the the ownership of property and things. That's no, not a real but thing. I, I don't think nobody really wants every that. socialist wants that. Like. There certainly are some. Again, some, there's those yeah, communists a, I knew from Berkeley. Broad, it's but, a broad church. <laughs> exactly. But I, I do agree with Glenn to the extent that free market capitalism with a safety net, as he calls it, which our version is probably more extensive than the version he imagines, but which isn't actually the reality of Sweden, um, is what we want. And it's not actually technically socialism, which is why I think, why, why does it matter? Mm. Why do you care? You're just going to straw man and call them socialists anyway. So why not just have them call themselves socialists? It doesn't matter. Either way you go with it. Yeah, exactly. But he says, quote, Most of these countries, as you will see in upcoming chapters, eventually scale their welfare states back as they become financially impossible to maintain. In parentheses, cough, cough, social security. The biggest difference between a free market capitalist system with a safety net and a completely free market model is the latter depends on the private social structure, Churches, Lions Clubs, PTAs, soup kitchens, Jerry Lewis telethons, etc. to assist people who Man, are incapable I, of supporting themselves. I can't themselves. afford to pay rent this week. Maybe let Jerry Lewis will do Maybe Jerry Lewis will me. help me out. <laughs> hey, don't you besmirch Jerry Lewis? I, I, look, I'm sure Beloved he would. actor. I'm sure he would if I asked him, but like, come on. Like, that never works. Like, oh, the charity of rich people is how poor people should survive okay look cool. obviously in the united states we have churches and lions clubs and ptas and soup kitchens and there is no poverty or homelessness that's right, the, you're the, right. it has solved the problem you're right you're right which is why we don't need to do anything else mm. sorry my but bad. then we get this fun little uh sidebar by which i mean literally a piece of paper taped uh, you know, you know Fake tape. Photoshop taped yep. to the side of the page, which says socialist fun fact. It fun has fact. the Ikea logo above it. <laughs> and it says, quote, no truly socialist system could come up with the brilliance of Ikea, a place that somehow has built a business model selling both furniture and Swedish meatballs. However, the incomprehensible directions they utilize to help you, in scare quotes, put the furniture together absolutely had to be the handiwork of a completely incompetent and borderline masochistic socialist Okay, so bureaucrat. what Glenn's saying here is that he's an idiot that can't follow <laughs> basic pictorial instructions. Like, yes! they're, they're, it's annoying, <laughs> but like... Ikea is pretty clear about the steps that you should take. It really is. Like, it's, like they put a lot of effort into those things to make sure you know, yeah, and you know what? exactly it's, it's how to put it together. It's more accessible than like any, any other, like it's pictures. It's really easy. And like that means you don't have to read Swedish, which is very nice of them to do for you, Glenn. Because there's no way you <laughs> speak fucking Swedish. I mean, I, I get that he's going for a joke there with the socialist bureaucrat line it. too, but also it, it you can't put the if you say it's completely capitalist couldn't recreate it in a socialist you get what i'm going yeah. for i'm just running into his stupid joke and not being able to get past it but let's move on where we get to the next page mm. where he says that really you know we're not we're not d disagreeing that we have problems remember back on that first page he was listening now we have all these problems with unemployment mm -hmm. and people unable to make a living wage and all these things what we disagree about is how to solve these problems and he tells us quote Socialists believe that we can make the world a better place by taking property and wealth away from the people who have it and centralizing economic, political, and social power. Mm -hmm. But I believe that America's at its best 
when individuals are empowered with the freedom to pursue their own hopes and dreams. How do we do Whatever that? Whatever that might mean to you. How well, do we do that? That's the question. How do you allow people the space to pursue their own hopes and dreams if they're working two minimum wage jobs just to put food on the table? Eliminating government. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and he gives when some he... examples. So he says, maybe you're an auto mechanic who hopes to one day open your own shop. Or maybe you're a nurse who spends your free time studying to become a doctor. Or maybe you work for a massive multinational co corporation but secretly aspire to start your own small bakery one day. Or what if you're homeless and can't get a bank account, Glenn? What then? Or what if you work for that massive multinational corporation and your 401k is tied up in the company, you can't transfer it to anywhere else, yep. and you're stuck there because without it, you don't have a fucking retirement what if you or can't health quit insurance. Because you've got health insurance that's tied to your job. Right. That's that's the fucking problem. That's what his little imaginary world where if you just eliminate government, all these problems will be solved. A it's, it's bullshit, obviously. But B, it doesn't actually solve any of these problems. Mm. He can't illustrate how his worldview would actually solve any of these problems. No. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. But I do want to go back to previously, right before what you just said, this little terrible joke he has. It's another one of the, the things that's taped onto the page. And it is a uh, Scantron TM uh, multi-choice <laughs> multi test thingy. Uh, along with a very difficult to read, and this is just yeah, like an I editing error where they should have made the text. ink darker. Well, it is. And I can I'm barely read it. It's, it now. it's very difficult to read because it's such light text printed on like receipt type paper. Uh, yeah. And it says, question 17. If you're reading while in Washington, D.C., check your knowledge with this fun quiz. What do the words pursue life, liberty, and happiness paraphrase? And the answer is A, a Will Smith movie about a homeless guy. B, some old document that seems to be carved in stone around the city I work in. And C, sorry, can't answer, I'm illiterate. And okay. the answer that is checked on the Scantron is, of course, C. If you're illiterate, you wouldn't be able to read the fucking question. <laughs> okay. I don't think he thought that joke through all the way. Ooh, what a fucking <laughs> surprise. So... We're, we're near the end of this chapter. It's a very short chapter. This is the intro. And the chapters that are coming so are long. much, much longer. Most of them are like 60 pages. So we're going to be figuring out how we're going to be splitting this all up. We might be doing half chapters week by week. <laughs> These uh, 13 just to make pages it have taken a full hour. <laughs> right. So there, there's a lot to go through here. So we'll figure out how we're going to do it. But just to end off this chapter, he pivots back into his pretend nonpartisanship. Yeah. And he does that. By saying, right, you know, it's not about who we elect. It's about finding the right ideas. That's what it's really all about. Benedict, what's it about? Ideas. It's about ideas. And he tells us, and this message I know is specifically for us. He says, quote, if you happen to be someone who identifies as a socialist or even just someone who thinks socialism has a valuable role to play in America's future, there's a good chance you're reading this because a friend or family member <laughs> put this book in your hands with the hope that you can be convinced to reverse course before you and your comrades destroy <laughs> the country. Well, we chose this book of our own free well, no, volition, patrons, Glenn. to be fair. Patrons put this book in our hands. So. <laughs> true, true, yeah. true. He continues, so patrons, quote, we, we get to tell you that you're very, very smart people, according to Glenn. <laughs> according to Glenn, yeah. <laughs> that is the joke he enters in to make sure the paragraph isn't serious at all. He continues, quote, If you're a socialist, there will be times as you're reading this book that you will feel surprised or skeptical. There may even be moments when you want to slam the book shut after I take a particularly harsh jab at Bernie Sanders. That was, it wasn't then, but it was every page. 
I really think he imagines that people get upset by his stupid jokes. Yeah. Well, I, really I think do, he's but been not living for the this... reasons that he thinks. <laughs> I really think he's been living in this pwn the libs world for so long that he thinks we get upset by his stupid jokes. But he continues, that's okay. Important conversations that challenge our existing ideas and force us to rethink concepts we thought we understood can be frustrating. And in parentheses, plus Bernie almost certainly deserved it. Cool. <laughs> so we're at the last page, and I will, as I always do, read the final paragraph in toto, which is, quote, Don't take my word for anything I say throughout the book. We won't. You don't need to worry about that. <laughs> Do your own homework. And don't forget that in most cases, Americans agree on the problems we face. It's the proposed solutions to the problems that divide us. We all agree that America has a long way to go before it reaches its full potential. On that point, we all stand firmly on common ground. End of chapter one. I am excited for this book. And I know, I know you much less so. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of fun, I guess. It's just silly. No, we got cartoons. We got fake Twitter characters. We got him literally. Okay, the book is called Arguing with Socialists. His first book of this style was called Arguing with Idiots. And literally, he spent the entire book arguing with himself. Because he wrote all the rejoinders to his own questions. He does that same thing in this book. He's just arguing with himself. And in that sense, yes, he is absolutely arguing with an idiot. (laughs) So I agree with him 100% on those grounds. Good stuff. Oh, you got to give me better than that. I know, sorry, on, there, give there's, me something. there's a extremely naked man in the window opposite me. So I'm just, I was <laughs> a little shocked by that. Um, Benedict gets distracted by shiny things. I do, truly. Uh, it's an old, old man too. It's just everything's kind of hanging out. So that's fun. Um, sorry, do you want to say a joke again? No, no, I won't. No, I won't. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it right there. I'm going to leave it right there. So, you know, we're going to spend the next couple of months going through this book. Of course, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to have plenty to do, and obviously we're going to have plenty of side things to do. And this is something I wanted to bring up now because my idea about the interstitial episodes, mm. uh, I have I have an idea about how to do them now. And in the past, I've just done a bunch of video clips pulled from a place, but I think something we can do with those interstitial episodes is spend them to do a little bit of a deeper dive on specific individuals or concepts or themes or perhaps events that have occurred. And I think that's what we're going to start off doing next week with our interstitial. So I'm pretty excited about that. That's going to be coming next week. You'll hear it when it's available. But that's it. For this week's episode, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode. That's $4 a month because we don't charge you for the interstitials. For patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, drawings when our copies of the books we read, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Corey Bidding, who is our newest patron. I should have given a shout-out at the beginning of the show. Sorry we didn't get that to that till just now. Uh, Megan Ruth, Savi Aquino, Glaurung the Deceiver, Danielle, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taro Takanen, Skeptical Seventh, and Andrew Jenko. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, Hail Hydra! Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
The Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.